an increasing difficulty in making decisions, an increasing tendency to become anxious about things that you wouldn't normally be anxious about, an increasing difficulty to focus and stay in the moment. Uh, alongside some of the things that we all, most of us think about uh, around depression, not really being able to see the whole picture around things are tending to see <coughs> the, the downside in situations. The catastrophic thinking uh, and yeah, negativity. As, as opposed to a rounded picture. So how did it feel? Where did you get to? I didn't really have the self-awareness to recognise that those things were creeping up on me. I just kind of essentially kept ploughing on every day, thinking maybe tomorrow I'll feel better. That absence of getting help, absence of recognising that I needed help really, led me to come to a kind of cliff-edge point. Right. Where there was a particular day where I just absolutely couldn't go into the office the next day. And what happened then? Well, what actually happened was that from that point, I was off and out of the business. I was a partner in the business, a senior guy in the business, for, for three months. Uh, I went into a psychiatric hospital for three weeks as an inpatient, which was not a great experience, as you might expect. The way I was functioning at that point was at such a low level and so unlike me and my perception of me that I could not see how I would ever get back to doing what I'd done before. What John Binns experienced as a senior partner at Deloitte isn't unusual. More than 40% of organisations report they've seen a rise in mental health problems in the last year alone. I think one in six workers right now are experiencing stress, anxiety or depression, so quite a, quite a large prevalence. Emma Mamo is Head of Workplace Wellbeing at the mental health charity Mind. Her job is to help employers recognise and respond to mental health problems amongst their people. I would say that even two people diagnosed with the same condition would absolutely be experiencing that, that condition differently and I think that's why it's always important to have that holistic conversation about what it looks like for them. I think it's always difficult to talk about how you might spot the signs or indicators that someone might be experiencing because sometimes there can be no outward sign and people can be hiding something like this or, and, or not really understanding what's going on from them so they might just be withdrawing. But obviously if you are a people manager, and well just indeed if you're a colleague, you, know, you should know the people around you, the people you work with quite well. So you might be able to um, notice differences in them. So for example someone might be staying later or getting in earlier which is different so that might be an indicator that they're struggling or if they're quite a happy chatty person. I'm quite a chatty person. If I'm feeling the pressure or stress I absolutely withdraw. I get quite clipped. I, if people are talking to me I don't want any nonsense let's just say what we need to say and get moving and that's an indicator for my manager if she sees that to think or oh, maybe Emma's struggling so I think it's just really looking at you know people's mood maybe their physical appearance maybe if they're reflecting to you that they're not sleeping you know these can these can be indicators that their mental health is being affected but again I would like to caveat that there may be no outward sign and that's why it's really good for employers to be proactive and make conversations about mental health quite normal. When it came to the crunch for John Binns, he found help and his employer supported him wholeheartedly. Looking back at that time, though, he says he learnt something he does now take into his work advising companies on how to approach mental health. Now, actually, my personal experience of what happened was, I suppose, to use a football analogy, a game of two halves, as people <laughs> use it. In, in other words, my perception that the organisation and the other partners would essentially take a view that if this has happened to this guy, he can't possibly function the way he did before. It didn't happen. So you expected they'd probably try I and push expect, you out? I absolutely expected. That. Now, that didn't happen. So the very positive element of what happened with me was 
the conversation, which was absolutely not the one that I was expecting to have, I always remember the words because, you know, they've meant such a lot to me at the time, yeah. was what we are looking for is John Binns up and running as he had been, as you have been 18 months before. I don't quite understand what, what's happened with you, but just tell us and let's talk about what we need to do to help you get back on your feet. And it doesn't have to be tomorrow uh, and it could be six months or a year, but let's just... That messaging was hugely empowering for me. At the point of crisis, he was supported, but that's not the whole picture. Actually, at that point, there was more support than I ever expected to be, to be, to be available. What wasn't so good, and, and a lot of the work that I went on to then do back at Deloitte and also you know, with, with many other organisations now, was the period leading up to that. Right. Actually, now I see, and it's a pattern I see time and time again, that there was that 18-month at least lead-in where incrementally, week by week, I was beginning to suffer with some of those symptoms I described earlier. There was no culture within the organisation at that time, and indeed most organisations, particularly city organisations, but generally, of talking about mental health as if it would ever be an issue that individuals ought to think about for themselves or for others. So I didn't get any help. My colleagues didn't recognise them, or if they did, they would feel extremely uncomfortable with asking. And, And it was that that I set out to try and change within Deloitte to get a greater understanding that this is actually very common that actually help works and if you get it early and you spot this stuff early you know you don't need to get into the position that I did. Norman Lamb is a Liberal Democrat MP and under the last government he was Minister of State for Care and Support. He's dedicated to getting a fairer deal for people with mental health problems generally and he sees work and the workplace as a major part of that. In terms of my work on uh, mental health I in the workplace I Uh, signed up for uh, the Department of Health to become an exemplar employer under Time to Change early on in my time as Minister and I made a commitment to get every government department signed up. We achieved that, it took quite a long time, but they eventually all signed up. But I felt that until we did that, it would be impossible to go out and make the case for others to do it. We had to demonstrate that we were getting our act together. And the fact that it took, you know, a couple of years rather demonstrates uh, the resistance still uh, in terms of people understanding the importance of this. So there is a long way to go. Norman went on to challenge FTSE 100 companies to do the same. Quite a few uh, responded positively, either to say they're doing their own thing or that they will sign up. But lots didn't. Lots didn't even respond. So we've got a long way to go yet. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, it's depressing, but it's it's what happens with mental health. Uh, it, it, there is a there is institutional bias against mental health still in society within the NHS. It's a historic injustice that has to be overcome, and the economic and the moral case for this is overwhelming. It costs the economy something approaching 100 billion a year, and so it's an absolute nonsense for us to ignore this. We ignore it at our peril. Nearly 40% of employees have considered quitting their job due to stress at work. It's a big number, but two-thirds of senior managers just don't think stress is a good enough reason even to take a day off. So clearly, there's often still a really marked mismatch between attitudes at the higher levels of organisations and the experiences of the workforce further down the ladder. Having said that, there's been a lot of attention focused on the support that employers should offer when one of their people runs into a mental health problem. 
Now, though, the onus is shifting more to what employers should be doing to support good mental health. One of the big stumbling blocks getting in the way of that is stigma. Here's Emma Mamu. I've been working at Mind for about eight, nine years, and I've seen attitudes to mental health really improve. You know, we've had celebrities, we've had sports, um, sports figures, and we've had, you know, politicians talk about their mental health. In the business world, in employment, that's where we've not seen as much improvement. And when does pressure become stress? When does stress become something more or exacerbate? an existing condition and it is the idea of who can take the strain and who can't and also you know once you say something you can't unsay it in the workplace so you know will you always be seen through that lens and you know if you if, if you're put forward to promotion well you couldn't handle this how could you move up and yeah if your organization is making redundancies potentially you might feel well I'll be first in line for the chopping block if I'm saying I'm struggling but that's why we've been trying to make the case, you know, at Mind, we've been trying to make the case to employers that all of your staff have mental health and actually, you know, peak performance from your staff, employee engagement, you know, that, that motivation, all of that's underpinned by them having good mental health. In fact, far from being a sign of weakness, the behavioural characteristics of people at risk of mental health problems often mirror those of high achievers. If you start to uh, think about some of the traits associated with those people that we often regard as high flyers or the people that we want, everybody wants in their team, people who care about the outcome of things, people who are ambitious, people who listen to feedback and don't just kind of blunder Self-critical. <laughs> people are self-critical. People who vol- volunteer for things etc etc and if you put kind of brackets too much after each of those you actually start to see that certainly in the work environments a lot of what we're talking about are the risks associated with high-flying ambitious individuals. For Emma Mamo, responding to the signs doesn't go far enough. She argues that employers should start tackling root causes and that way they can reduce the likelihood of mental health issues taking root in the first place. At an organisational level, I think that an employer, if they want to address mental health well, they have to be doing three things. One of them is about promoting well-being for all of your staff, because we all have mental health. And what that looks like is around promoting work-life balance, that idea about people working sensible hours and not always working, you know, over, over and above. And then around, you know, promoting positive working relationships, senior management, being good role models about well-being. And then also looking at learning and development um, you know, this isn't always about putting people on a training course, but you know, using mentors or buddies within an organisation to upskill people. So I think all, and, and also ensuring that employees feel that they have a voice, that they have a say in how they do their job and how the organisation is run. So that's the first part of doing this well. And then the second part is around tackling the kind of work-related causes of mental health problems. So at an organisational level, a lot of organisations do staff surveys and so on. So there's the idea of taking a temperature check of your organisation. But I think what's really key to this then is around your people managers. They're the people that should be monitoring the well-being of staff, checking in with them regularly, you know, culture of one-to-ones and then the final part of it is around just having the right policies and practices in place to support people if they are experiencing a problem and be that you know workplace stress a period of emotional stress or if they are living with a mental health problem that sometimes you know symptoms flare up and they have to manage their condition while being in the role. So it's a layered strategy. You can't do the promoting well-being if you're not going to address any issues and you can't support people if you're not trying to do the preventative. It is absolutely, it has to be all three, otherwise you're kind of going to undermine and or it will look tokenistic if you're just promoting well-being. 
More employers are now training their people to spot and deal with mental health issues and nearly a third of organisations do train their line managers. But given the key role that those line managers play, are they doing enough? Here's John Binns. I absolutely believe that one of the key preventative uh, mechanisms that business can put in place is for line managers to have had some training and to be more aware of some of those kind of early signs and some of the preventative things that one can do generally, that this is important, that there are things you can do to prevent it and what might be some of the early signs. The, the key problem will be that if line managers typically are not used to having, in my view, conversations with people in their teams which are rounded and which are not just about how your sales going, what's your utilisation like, what's your pipeline, blah, blah, blah. Why aren't you performing like you were billing? last year? <laughs> yes. if, if that is the nature of every interaction that one has, whether it's on a, in a weekly team meeting, then it will be extraordinarily difficult if you are worried about someone then who appears to be changing their behaviour in some way. So the key lesson, I think, for line managers is to recognise that good management means that you ask much wider questions and you're generally talking about how are things going, how people are feeling, as a normal conversation. So that so if that, you need to, you so can open it up. So at that point, it's not a big issue. Messaging is key. Because of the sensitivities around mental health, the success of a policy or a campaign can simply turn on how it's pitched. We put on something and described that there was going to be a session around mindfulness and talked about it, uh, explaining something about its origins, which its origins are around Eastern meditation, and, and advertised it. I think about five people turned Everyone up. Everyone ran for the hills. <laughs> we put exactly the same, uh, exactly the same thing on with exactly the same people doing exactly the same talk and called it high performance something or other. I can't quite remember and? that. And full. <laughs> as simple as that. The key is. Thinking about the culture in your, the particular organisation, thinking about what wording and description would work, and it will be different for different organisations, and then playing it back in that way. So if you're starting to look at this, here's a word of advice. The way I look at it is that it's always, I think, best to divide it up a little bit and think what you might do at particular layers. So there might be three or four layers. There is a, you know, the, the senior leadership culture change bit what's one or two things that you can do at the top level of that triangle which is around helping to get the message out there that we are going to take this seriously it's okay to talk about this kind of stuff there's then you know what are we going to do perhaps in the middle level which is preventative what training might we put in place for line managers uh what what kind of interventions to help people to recognize signs to be aware of what questions might we ask in surveys around work practices that might be changed? And then at the bottom of the triangle, there's a kind of what things might we do to enable there to be better support if someone gets into a position where there's either a crisis or they really need some help. Norman Lamb has personal experience of the impact that mental ill health can have. His son was diagnosed with OCD when he was 15. He's grown up and working now, but he's struggled with it ever since. It means that I have uh, insight into what other families go through, the impact that mental ill health has on the whole family, the strain it puts on people, and the price that you pay for not getting it right and for not treating it seriously enough. So what do you think employers should be doing? 
Well, employers are a critical partner in this, uh, and I want to engage closely with employers and employer organisations to get across this sort of point or the case for enlightened self-interest, that it's in your direct interest to take this seriously. Ignore it at your peril. And I think if we can improve the training so that managers understand that the way in which they behave and treat people in the workforce will have a direct impact on that person's well-being, but also on the company's bottom line. If you have thoughts on this, tweet us at COPD with the usual hashtag COPD podcast. And if you'd like to know more, Mind is the place to go. That's mind.org.uk. Next month, transformational change management and the role HR can play in making it happen. Join me then. Thank you.